Uh, my fellow Americans, uh, in light of recent events, uh, I hereby advise the U.S. government to sense uh, the big chunk. Uh, have you heard of theme song? I love it. It goes something like this. Hello guys, this is Anthony, and this is Big Brain Chungus. I am joined by my co-host, Ryan. Hello everybody! So, Ryan, we've been discussing this off-air. You've uh, decided that we're, uh, you're going to send me uh, to a reality dating show. Uh, I've sent out some uh, auditions. And one of the ones I'm hoping to get on is a show called Love is Blind. Could you tell me what is Love is Blind? First of all, I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, Totally for you auditioning to various reality shows. I would love to watch those audition tapes. They're going to be hilarious. Just to Um, promote. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, imagine. (laughs) So, um, you know, Love is Blind is a new show on Netflix. Uh, I think me and you, you know, we want to discuss it for the podcast because it's a very interesting show because it says a lot about our culture. And I think it's it's a good show to talk about as a primer for the article we're going to read off later on the show but uh so the basically the the you know the quick bits about the show is that they get a bunch of young people uh well actually in their 30s which i find it you know very interesting and uh you know in their late 20s who couldn't really find a long-term relationship in their lives and they basically put them in a giant warehouse where they separate the sexes from each other so they can't see each other and basically they only communicate through um uh, they, they they pair off as couples um and they uh communicate through a quick a little hole in the wall that allows them to communicate but not see each other and if they like each other enough they propose once they propose they have a certain time frame uh, before the wedding takes place and then they can start actually dating each other in the real world and to figure out if they actually want to go along with it and then at the final episode um, they basically walk up to the aisle and um, uh, they can either say yes or no to the marriage, which I think is extremely humiliating, by the way. I think the the co the host of the, of the show are sadists, if you ask me. <laughs> That's a real producer type move, isn't it? To be like, all Very right. Painful. Yeah. All right, guys, invite your family. We're going to have a wedding and uh, you get to make your choice up there in front of everybody on TV while everyone's yeah. watching get humiliated for our pleasure but you know what's interesting to me anthony is that i've watched the second season and then i went to rewatch the first season then i watched um i watched the japanese version of the show and what's fascinating to me is that the japanese one is actually much more tender and sweet and not so um dramatic and at the same time they don't do the whole aisle scene in the very end where they get to humiliate each other in front of the world because that's, you know, too shameful, I guess, in their culture. Unlike us Americans, you know, <laughs> where we're like, yeah, yeah, just go humiliate each other in front of national television. We don't give a shit if that gives you PTSD afterwards. I'm a, I'm a little new to this show. So this is a very popular. I've only. OK, I'm going to be honest with you. You told me to watch All Love is Blind and I only watched the first three episodes of the first season um is this this show is very popular you're saying They're, they've yeah they've done like love is blind in japan in brazil yes in yes. europe in mexico in space yeah there's basically a lot of uh cultural versions of the show for different you know cultures um i mean there's a lot to say about this show i mean uh netflix and uh hbo and uh hulu are all getting into the reality game and trying to capture that market 
I have a lot of stuff to talk to you about, specifically about how this show reflects current current dating culture. But what are your thoughts of the show? I mean, I you know me. I I have a soft one of my guilty pleasures is dating shows. Um, I try not to talk about it too much, but here I am. I'm outing myself right here. Um, and I turned on the first episode and I immediately was hyped. I like my heart rate started pumping. I was like, oh boy, I'm really invested to see if, you know, like, uh, I only watched the first season. So it was like Cameron and Lauren, are they gonna, are they gonna, they seem like they're vibing. Are they gonna marry each other? So, and then, uh, you know, uh, some of the other play, uh, people like, uh, I think Barnett in season one, he seemed like such a player. I'm like, oh man, Barnett, you're such a player. We got to learn to respect these women. You're looking for love. What are you doing? So that's really funny. No, I'm I like the opposite. Super, I'm the opposite. Duper. I've never watched a reality show in my life. I love them. <laughs> except for like this year, basically. Uh, I never understood the appeal of them. Um, so I, I'm trying to understand, like, what's the big deal about these shows? Why are people crazy about them? What do you but mean? What's the appeal? It's like, you know, juicy drama. They get drunk. Have you ever okay. noticed they always drink, though? It's like there's so much drinking. So like much booze. Yeah, yeah, they're like just filming just people. In yeah, yeah. Which is, you know. But but you know what's interesting to me uh, from watching these shows? I came off of a different perspective um because what infuriates me about this type of show and why i can't get into it as much as other people is that it's too fake you know that's the what yeah that's I your know. opinion yeah Th- well, bro it, yeah ryan th- that's what you're saying i i did not think that's what you were gonna say i thought this how, show- how how can okay, you i'll let how you go can, how can how can you get drama uh, or any enjoyment from something that's, I mean, I mean, when, when I say what's fake in the show, what I basically mean is that uh, in The Bachelor, okay, or in these shows, what these people are not doing is trying to court each other. That's, that's bullshit. What they're really doing is trying to court you as the viewer. They're basically trying to make you like them. So when they leave the show, they can start what they really want to do, which is their influencer career. I mean, hundred percent. There's, yes. I mean, every reality TV show you always know people are playing it up for the cameras. Uh, I think every once in a while, it seems as though there's like a person that's there who's like eh, so concerned about the cameras. But when they seem like they're not concerned for the cameras, I, I guess that's part of their their whole clout chasing game. They're like, oh, I'll pretend to be the wholesome type, and then people yes. really love me, and then I can finally be in a movie with. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, like uh, something that's kind of funny about Love is Blind season one, a lot of what happened outside of the show that you don't really see in the show, spoilers alert, especially if you're Anthony, I'm sorry, but I'm going to spoil it in a way. (laughs) Shit. Is that um, I'm not going to name any of the contestants, but one of the contestants uh, is basically not putting on a show for the audience. They're just being who they actually are. And what, what's funny about her being that way is that it kind of unmasks that everybody else is trying to pretend to be somebody they're not for the so the viewers can love them. Like all the guys in that show try to act like The Bachelor. You know, they try to be uh, Prince Charming, really in love with the girl, all this stuff. Uh, but one girl was just being who she really is. And what's really Ooh, funny about that? Who was that? Uh, no spoilers, please. Uh, but. Uh, Come on, I need to know. No, ah, but like, what's really funny is that her partner in the show, um, 
who's courting her and is like this guy who's this Prince Charming saying, I'm going to be devoted to you. I'm going to love you, all this stuff. In real life, while filming the show, apparently, allegedly was having um, multiple um, sexual encounters with other people while they were filming. And the whole time while they were filming, he was acting like he was being this devoted guy just, just for her. You know, which is which is, is kind of funny. In, this is in The Bachelor or Love is Blind? No, this is Love is Blind, yeah. What? Season yeah. one? Yeah, season one. Season one? And they basically oh, made... I have no idea. I have yeah. no idea who you're talking about. And, and basically they made the girl, you know, the filming, the directing, and the editing made her look as, human, as bad as possible. They made her basically the villain of season one. While the whole time the guy who's that the audience fell in love with was devoted to her, but... You know, but off camera, he was like a hound dog chasing everything he could find, banging everybody, going to the gym, having oh, a good old time. And oh my goodness, I have to, <laughs> and, dude, and, I can't believe you. Why did you do this to me? Shit, I <laughs> oh, sorry. Hey, it's for I our audience. Listen, I should have watched will, the whole show. Fuck. I will, I will, I will I spoil, I will spoil everything it? for you for the audience. Uh, is it yeah. Mark? Is it Mark? It's got to be Mark. No, I'm, I'm the not, short I'm, guy, Mark. I'm not going to say who it is, but basically the same guy, even after the show, dates another contestant and then gets another girl pregnant and doesn't tell the person he's dating. But the whole time he acts like, you know, and they have like a reunion episode at the very end and he doesn't even show up because all the stuff come up, you know, come to light and it's just embarrassing. But, but my point is everybody on the show is basically pretending to be somebody they're actually not. I don't know. This is like amazing for me. I, mean, I guess everybody else knows this, but uh, it feels like it's just a big fake addition for their fucking influencer careers. And that's what's really on the line here. So it's I think a this, lot of people do buy into some of the story. I, I, I mean, otherwise, I buy into it a little bit. Definitely. Well, see, obviously. See, yeah, <laughs> see, the thing is, I watched season two first and I completely loved it because I thought it was reality TV. And then I and then what I noticed and uh, after the show is that everyone's talking about their influencer career and they're not really that in, into each other. And it's like, oh, these motherfuckers are just pretending to like each other to sell me some shit after the show. I don't know, maybe because I've not been exposed to these types of show, but to the show. But to me, it's like. That that's so fucking phony and fake. Like then the whole show is basically pointless because of the but, but I see. But I don't think that holds true for the Japanese one, where I actually think legitimately the people were trying to figure out. I, mean, I could be wrong if one of I our mean, Japanese listeners would tell me, you know. But my my understanding is that in the Japanese one, it felt like they were actually trying to find love. It felt much more real than the American version, which was like drama, 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 drama. Uh, fake, 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 and then they sell you some kind of fucking whey protein powder <laughs> or some wholesome living on, you know, on fucking Instagram afterwards. And by the way, it's the same, the truth is, sorry, Anthony, I know. Alpha, alpha brain, maybe. Alpha powder, yeah. And the same thing for The Bachelor. Every single person after The Bachelor basically be, ran off and became an influencer. And the same thing, even about Iron Chef, those people are not even competing. And I think, you know, um, not Iron Chef, Master Chef, like, you can see from maybe the first se- two seasons, the people are actually competing there to be Iron Chefs or Master Chefs. But every season after that, it's basically like, you know, they're really going here to be influencers, not even cook necessarily. So they're just trying to wow the audience so they can impress the audience, but they really just want to be influencers. And, you know, and it's like, it's it's really like an influ- influencer feeding tube. Uh, you know, it just makes new Instagram, it prints new Instagram people. I don't know. I No, know. no, you're right because, okay. So yeah. like in season one, uh and we might bounce it back between talking about our thoughts on the show and the actual show but season one i am 
standing. I I'm shipping Cameron and Lauren. So they are that's like the black and white couple. That's like the I think Cameron is the black woman who her job is content creator. So I guess she's like an Instagram influencer or a YouTuber or something. I have no idea. Uh, and then Lauren is the white guy, I think. And maybe it's Cameron. Shit. Uh, and he's a scientist. And even just like the title scientist is so vague. Yeah, it can like, mean anything. Like, I'm like, what the what the hell does scientist mean? That is so vague. Uh, so I did kind of like have my red, my like uh, little feelers, uh, my hair standing back, you know, letting me know like something's awry. But I mean, I was swept away. Uh, their relationship was so beautiful and lovely. Yeah, but, it's, but you see, but they're courting you. That's what they're doing. They're not courting each other. This is for you. They're trying to they're trying to put up that image so you can fall in love with them so they can sell you crap after they leave. Well, that's the thing is this is a spoiler for what happens to them. But I looked at their Instagram and I think they have like a joint Instagram together. And obviously this show was very successful for them because they have like 2.6 million view uh, followers and all their posts are all like promoting their relationship and they have a book and it's a brand. Yeah. DM me for, you know, email here for uh, like events and stuff like that. And basically I guess they just sell the book and then also give talks about their lovely, you know, interracial relationship. And, uh, I mean, they even mentioned that in the show. And I thought, you know, I was really gripped. I Like, she, basically, the black woman, she is constantly talking about how, like, she cares deep. Or she she says she cares deeply about, uh, you know, civil rights and the black experience in America. And even when she chose the white scientist, she mentioned, like, oh, how could I... You know, what are my friends going to think? Like, you know, I'm going to marry a white guy. They think they're, they're going to say to me that I care about black issues. But look at you married to a white man. And I was really buying this. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is this is an interracial, uh, you know, black and white. Finally, we solved racism. You know, I was wow. really like buying into it fully. I mean, obviously, but, uh, but... <laughs> we I I was fully sold on their relationship. But then well, that's you know, good. After... Yeah, but you see, but that's the branding, Anthony. That's exactly what they're trying to I sell know. you. Yeah, and I know. they really yeah. sold me because once I stopped watching it, I was like, huh, that was weird. Like, you know, that their Instagram is so heavy on, you know, promoting their book and their like talks and everything. I'm like. I was I was even wondering like are they really married? Are they really a couple? I think they are, but boy, well, I mean, that it's part of their a... brand, right? I mean, why you think they're going to break up and their whole brand is about them being together, and that's what makes made them famous? I mean, I think um, another couple in the show basically acted to be together even after the show ended, and they were basically living in separate cities for three years. But on Instagram, they're pretending to be dating just so they can keep getting those clicks. I and you know the not this season oh. or, or a couple of seasons ago in The Bachelor, the main contestant wasn't even straight, which I think is hilarious. And I'm actually no uh, way. I find that I found I found that amazing uh, and good for him, <laughs> you know, for getting in there doing that. Uh, it's really funny because he, he basically got the bag, I guess. I well, you see, for for my, I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched like two episodes from it. But he was basically telling all the girls that he's a virgin and he doesn't do the sex, and it's 
what he will do kissing and hugging and i'm like oh very smart you know that's you're like he's so charming <laughs> he's so respectful wow but you see that's exactly the problem is that there it's just i don't know i feel like that i can't get past that fakeness is that all these people are really putting themselves through hell and basically hey so there's this one girl on the show and she's the villain and everybody hates her the audience hates her she got basically death threats as soon as she left the show and Which all these horror uh, I'm not going to name it. Uh, spoiler alert. It's got to be Jessica. But she was basically hated. Okay. But what I find amazing about her, okay, is that all the contestants really hated her and the camera crew really hated her because she was the only person at that time. And she kind of said it after the show that wasn't trying to. She didn't realize until after the show was done that everybody was fake and she was just being herself. And if that may be true, it's. I think it kind of reminded me of like why liberals hated Trump so much, you know, because Trump basically did every single thing he could do to make financial institutions more powerful and help the most powerful in our country get as much money as possible. Uh, but he always said the wrong things. You know, he was, he just, he didn't wear a mask. He would say the dumbest stuff that you're not supposed to say in polite corners of Washington. Like, you know, I mean, um, I, I just love that quote. I listen to it sometimes over again uh, from the blowback podcast where they talk about the Iraq war and they've got just a minute and a half of Trump talking about like, uh, you know, just talking shit against uh, Jeb Bush, talking about like the war in Iraq was a big fat mistake. They they said there are nuclear weapons. There were none. They knew there were none. They lie. They lie to you. And you know, for yeah, not, and you're not Iraq supposed war, to say that. You know, you're not he's on he's on the debate stage and he's literally saying the quiet part. You know, yeah. he's saying the part they're not supposed to say. It's like you're not supposed to say that the Iraq war was. You know, we just fucking wanted to take out Saddam for other reasons, not and he, and, for their and weapons. Yeah. And he would say things like section, you know, uh, section eight housing or whatever isn't allowed. Shouldn't be building uh, affordable housing in you know white communities because we don't want you know, <laughs> I, I know. the, the oh, blacks to move in. And you know, he would say shit like that when you're supposed you're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to say. You know, we're really concerned with property values <laughs> and property tax I know, or, or the or the big one with the wall. Like, you know, instead of being like, you know, we're concerned about, uh, you know, rising crime rates and, you know, yeah, how or attract these trap. people. And he's like, just full out there. He's like, they're bringing drugs. They're rapists. They're murderers. Yeah, it's know, like, oh, my. To say that, you know? <laughs> oh, boy. What well, the fuck well, is he doing? Yeah, he's like, you know, when when somebody asks him, do you, you know, uh, the, you know, Kim Jong Il's a killer, and he's like, so what if he's a killer? You don't think we support killers? We support killers. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to say we have security partners abroad that help yes. protect our yes. stuff. You're not supposed to we say have, that. So what if there's some dude in Uzbekistan who, you know, drops people in uh, hot boiling vats of oil and burns them alive? You know. He, he keeps the American, region stable. Yeah. Yes, he keeps the region straight stable, and he lets American companies, you know, do business. He's very uh, business friendly to America, so we like that. Exactly. So back to the show, and I think that's why she was hated so much. And season two has their own villain, and you know, uh, although the uh, season two villain I think was doing it on purpose to build clout as playing the villain, right? Season mm -hmm. one, that poor girl was just being a little bit like maybe too honest with how she was thinking. She wasn't trying to push a part. Of course she could have been as far as I know, but she basically said that she wasn't. And she didn't realize that everybody else was because everybody else was pretending to be every dude. Basically in that show, all look exactly the fucking same, by the way. I know they do. They, that's the problem plain. with reality TV shows. 
is they all the dudes just look exactly exactly the same. The same. Why it's is like, it that the women look different, but the dick guys just all yeah look? They're like, all right, we need tall, ripped guys, beard, sometimes no beard, same with the haircut, most plain face possible, the most vanilla fucking pancake face they can find, and throw them out there. And I think that's a little bit wise because. Uh, a female audience watching that is supposed to be like, look, I can be in that show or I'm good. I'm good looking enough because the guys they do put is completely average compared to the girls who are, you know, much more higher. in the except their fitness levels. I don't know. They're always pretty freaking ripped. They always, the yeah, guys yeah, of are course, pretty yeah. Ripped. Yeah. They're, they're not getting guys with, you know, big pudgy stomachs like but me and putting it, it on the show. <laughs> but it's funny. You said something before about like the fakeness in reality TV shows. I used to, like, after reality TV shows, check these people on Instagram to be like, all right, how much of this is true and whatever? Uh, You know, are they still dating? And now I realize, like, ah, shit. Like, you know, people probably could play it up, and it might be a good idea to play it up after the show's over to keep playing the role. Of course, that's how you got famous. It's like, what, you got famous while playing the saxophone, you're going to stop? You know, when everybody, that's the reason that, that pays for your food. But but, see, but that separates me from actually enjoying it. I would have actually liked the show more if they would, if it was actually, you know, about finding a relationship and more about an experiment about, like, can we really fall in love with each other? And and I think also another problem is that most of the guys are from the same background, too. Um, you know, they don't put, like, everyone's roughly, you know, all the guys look exactly the same. All the girls are good looking. I think they're all upper middle class guys, too. Yeah, all yeah, the they don't. Are kind of like, I don't think I've ever seen a reality TV show. Like, most of the time, the guys are, like, have, from wealthy families. Like, yes. It just seems yeah. like that's always the case. I was like, well, how the hell is this guy going on private jets? Or, I, I, know, I would why rather is he partying in all these fancy places. Yeah, I would rather they do the show with a more diverse background, especially like maybe love. You know, I think if you did the show, really, they shouldn't be able to talk about race, about class, or about like sexual preference. Try to make it as blind as possible and see. Really? Yeah, yeah. Just to see, see if it would happen if you just communicate to people on a personal level and see if they would connect. You know, and maybe throw in more people that are, um, you know, not just cisgender in there, too. And see, maybe, maybe somebody will, you know. I know. If- I, it's funny you're saying that. I was just thinking, I was thinking that while watching the show, like, man, what if they put a trans woman in there? I'm sure that would make for some spicy uh, TV drama or a very heartwarming story about how a cis man can have a loving relationship with a trans it, woman. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, more of, you know, more of, and of course, not in a way that, you know, destroys them emotionally, which, you know, unfortunately, a lot yeah. of these shows do do that in a way, yeah. uh, in a way that actually, you know, um, tries to do this experiment, you know, maybe even, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I just think that, I think that, you know, because basically you can talk to somebody, figure out exactly what they look like. You know, if they say, hey, I work out five times a day, you know, I have a good middle class job, you know, that that love isn't really blind. You're just not literally physically seeing the people. But to be real with you, they're all, you know, they're not putting like really ugly people on the show either. So it, what's the point of not seeing them if you basically they, know everything about them? And so that's I, not the same the Japanese one, by the way. They actually do put more, they, they throw in some really old people and some really young people. And they throw in people who are like, you know, wearing a Isle of Ramen shirt in so there. They, they did do that in season one. It's very obvious that they cut out a lot. A lot of people. Don't you remember there was in the beginning, 
the you know big kind of fat overweight like 40 something year old guy who's a business owner he's like oh like the first thing it seems like the first thing he says to one of the women is like oh you sound black are you black and she's like yeah yeah no i'm white and it's like oh boy i don't think that guy's gonna do very well unfortunately he's uh he's got a i don't know just yeah yeah but but you know it's not as much as it could be you know it, it should definitely you're right i forgot about it, but that's like one cut away then the kind of a reason one and then know. then he's gone like it should, you know. it should the most humiliating uh point of the guy's experience you know they don't actually give you like a holistic look into the person or you know what did you don't even know for the most part what the fuck people even talk about in the pods Unlike know, the Japanese true. one who gets into big detail about like what are they talking about, you know, they, they they take notes, they talk they get much more in depth. And the American one, it's just like you see them, they talk, they're laughing, then they're proposing, and then they're moving out. And it's like, well, what what the fuck did he tell you? And they I mean the <laughs> what did you connect what did he connect with? It's more I mean, of a drama. One of the couples, it's very you know, they were like the one I was talking about before with Cameron and Lauren. You know, it was a black and white couple. They were super playing up the fact that it was an interracial. And they were really, you know, trying to get that across as much as possible. Um, but, but how old are the writers? I mean, interracial couple, couples are not exactly, you know... Um, they're not that It's not that uncommon. I don't know why they're acting like this is 1960 and, you know... <laughs> I know. But... The it's like the short way they're like, you're black, you're white. Make it a deal. Make it a big deal. Talk about it. Talk about it. And it's like... And, and it almost made the other one so cringy when it was like the 34, I think it was, she was like 34 year old blonde woman, Jessica, who got with like the short guy, Mark. Uh, and they're constantly talking about like, we're going to face so much adversity because of our age difference. And they're trying to do the same thing, but it just didn't play. Cause it's like, I think the guy was like 24 and she was 34. And it was like, yeah, and, who, and who cares about that too? You know, I know, who cares about that age difference that much? Who cares if she's older? But it's like but, the it's like the the idiot uh, creators were like, no, 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 we got to focus on one thing and make that your story. You know, that's going to be the crux of your relationship. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you noticed, but in throughout the show, they're constantly harping on it. They're like, they repeat it so many times. They're like, love is blind. Love is blind. Superficial. Looking at people is so you know bad and. You know, like, I don't know. I don't buy it that much. Like, well, looks do matter a little bit. To be but... honest with you, this is like Netflix's tradition of shame. They do the same thing in um, that uh, Chastity Island um, reality show where they put a bunch of, um, we talked about it in an earlier episode, where they put a bunch of couples and too hot to handle, or Chastity Island is what I like to call it. And they say having sex is a crime against humanity. You know, repent, repent for your sins. Yeah, I know. They like the bell almost like slut. slut yeah, they do. Slut. They do. They basically like, every whore. Single, How dare every, you? Every, it's awful. Every single fucking day they wake up and they basically the robot comes out of the fucking ground and says, everybody has to confess for their crimes. And if not, oh, I'm yeah, going to oust oh, you. You're so right. I, yeah, I do remember it's, that show. It's, <laughs> it absolutely. Really it, it's like, it's almost like being in like, you know, some village in like Germany in the 1300s. And it's like, up oh, the, 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 you know, whatever the, the priest or whatever is coming in. He's like, you must confess your sins that you've committed. Yeah. And then repent. Exactly. And they even, and it's like, they even have this, it's just awful. And it's all about redemption. If you were too naughty in the beginning, you need to redeem yourself of being chased in the later show and later. And it's like, 
First of all, I don't buy the premise because connecting intimately, sexually, is one of the most powerful ways to bond with somebody. And this idea that just because you're having sex, it's superficial. This is like an older person's idea of what younger people are doing. It's basically all these young people having superficial sex. They need to stop and have deeper, you know, connections. And and I agree with you on that. Just because, like, premise of love is blind. It kind of sounds nice. And it is nice. You know, I'll get to connect with someone without seeing them so you know it's real or whatever but then there is also this aspect of like isn't it a little bit important to like see someone's body language and who they are that's you know like you're not just a brain inside your body like your whole body is you like you're the whole thing yeah it's and i I don't know why they couldn't just have them have them in different rooms and talk to each other over a phone (laughs) i have to build this big elaborate set it's it's just it's just you know weird. Netflix has these weird issues with dating it's shows, like both very woke and progressive, but also very yes. conservative. It's, yes, it's it's, so it's weird. Yeah, it's like they want to have all the conservative attitudes towards sexual norms, and at the same time, they want to act like this new age, you know, thought experiments to approach. I, I think it has to do a bit. Now, here's my tinfoil hat theory. Are you ready? They're trying to get all the audiences. They're just trying to get everyone. Maybe. Well, okay, okay. That's kind of what you know, I was like, trying to get at. Sex is bad, but well, my, my 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 theory is that it's because Netflix has a global platform. They want to be able to show these reality shows to the whole world in a way that's acceptable. Uh, that they won't get like in trouble if they did it in like uh, Japan or something, you know, or some other country that has much more strict what you can show on TV stuff. So that you know, it's kind of how they can not they can do a show about young people and like profit off people's flesh, literally like in, in, um, chastity Island, they, the, the camera's constantly panning to people's asses and abs and saying, yeah, these, (laughs) yeah, these dirty, hot singles, dirty. They better not, they better not touch committing sin. And here's a room with whips. No, you know, don't don't get in dirty props, <laughs> dirty, the, dirty like, people. They're like, don't touch the wall of dildos. Don't you dare. They're burning. Yeah. It's yeah. art. Exactly. You have but, a dirty but, mind. You have a dirty mind. Yeah. Now here's here's some handcuffs. <laughs> yeah, Be dirty yeah. for and me. We're, and we're gonna sneakily place this bo- this bottle of fancy champagne and a box of condoms right there for you guys to hang out in. But remember, no sex until you're married. It's yeah, so you know, and and then in in season three of that show, basically there's a second where the robot basically disappears from existence because it malfunctions. But don't worry, audience, you think that the you think when God turns away, God isn't ever present and omnipotent. Because <laughs> oh. even when the robot turns away, the robot the tells robot the audience, "Don't worry, I will be." You know, I'm pretending like I'm turned off, but I'm actually turned on. And I'm going to be pretending like there's no rules for 12 hours, but we both know that that isn't true. And the audience has to be, I mean, and the, the, the contestants have to basically argue whether or not they should take this opportunity to have fun or, you know, will God return to the garden of Eden and punish them for the indiscretions. And, you know, and then basically, you know, the cock blocking robot literally draws a little picture. uh, uh, A graphic comes up where it shows you the, godly contestants with angel wings versus the devil contestants with devil horns and says we'll see who who acts naughty in the garden of eden tomorrow and who shall be punished it's it's really weird it's like really fascistic and you know what's weird too is all the people keep begging for the robot's forgiveness every single day like please forgive me please forgive me i'll redeem myself oh robot (laughs) you know oh you know oh lord please oh god don't kick me out of the garden of eden 
No, yeah. that, that's that's really interesting because the robot is God. But yeah, you know, to bring it to love is blind, I almost feel like the underlying message is is like if your relationship doesn't work, it's because you only care about looks. Like I feel like that's got to be part of the underlying message. It's like all the people whose relationships who didn't work, it's because they just they they said they didn't care about their looks. They said they liked them, but they were lying. Yeah, and then there's this other show we should... You're right, Anthony. There's this other show we should talk about in a later episode, which is called Ultimatum, which is even much more emotional distressful than than, than these shows. But uh, that's what I don't, I don't like about these shows, because for something like Chastity Island, it could have really been a show where people go on an island and get experimented and kind of find out who they are sexually, you know, instead of this Chastity Island. So I think it's because of international markets that they were afraid of they wanted to do a reality show but they didn't want netflix to get banned in like um you know a country or they didn't want uh because it's extremely prudish and conservative you know especially their Mm -hmm. ideas uh ryan i i'm gonna we're gonna do some show planning on air do you think we should read our article or save the article to the end no i think i think i think this is a good i think this is a good time to get into it Get, yeah. get into the article? All right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it, it, it plays off what we're reading because this article is actually kind of interesting. All right. So uh, we've got this article called, it's titled, The Death of Intimacy. Sex Positivity Has Created a Cult of Celibacy by Kat Rosenfield. <coughs> Let me get into my reading voice. <coughs> What's happening in heterosexual couples now is also, crucially, about what isn't happening. A sexual famine amongst Gen Z who are upending the entire romantic landscape as they come of age. There is less sex, but also less dating. Less social interaction writ large without the intermediary of a screen. This isn't the free love of the sexual revolution nor the sex positivity espoused by the commitment-free hookup culture that reigned in the early 90s. It's something new, and also something post-hashtag MeToo, and perhaps not even entirely unrelated to our contemporary obsession with consent as the primary, (coughs) sometimes only, framework for determining if a given encounter was good or not. Meeting strangers on the internet went in a generational spasm from being maximally unsafe to the only way to do things, as the existence of dating apps rendered the old ways of connecting just not quaint, just not just quaint, but creepy. Our pre-internet rituals were especially fraught with the risk of approaching someone who didn't consent to be seen as a romantic prospect. Now every interaction is preceded by the insurance that your crush has contractually agreed to be lusted after, that no boundaries are being violated. At the same time, the idea of sex as something people do for fun seems faded from public consciousness, perhaps a natural consequence of too many millennial women having discovered that the utopian promise of feminist sex positivity was laden with hidden negatives, that being able to have sex free of stigma or slut-shaming still comes with cost nevertheless. For years, women have been thrust into the role of the bad cop, 
assigned the unpleasant duty of forever resisting the advances of horny men who couldn't be accepted to exercise restraint or good judgment on their own. But having been released from the social obligation to say no, lest you be labeled a slut, a new pressure emerged to say yes, lest you be tarred with the stigma of sex-negative prude. The result was a generation of women engaging in sex that was, yes, consensual, but also not much fun, especially when it's happening at the behest of a generation of men whose idea of sex was heavily influenced by internet porn. Women cast off the mantle of sexual gatekeeper only to find themselves in a world where your boyfriend's idea of first-date intimacy was to engage in a little light choking before ejaculating all over your face. Oh, but... Consensually, of course. When you consider how many women have been foundering around for years in the vast great chasm of sex that is technically consensual, but not, not remotely enjoyable, it's no surprise that the act itself took a rep reputational hit. The emerging perception now is that sex is dangerous, dicey, probably not worth the risk, especially as concepts like trauma and abuse have expanded to include everything from the sting of a lover's betrayal to the heartbreak when a consensual relationship ends. See also in the increased use of the word grooming, once reserved for the sexual predation of children to describe, describe flirtatious relationships between consenting adults. Under this rubric, the idea that someone might engage in physical intimacy for fun seems practically absurd. Young women in the post-Me Too era are taught that they can't let their guard down for a single moment, while young men are told that they're always just one misread cue or mixed message away from committing a rape. All of this happening against the backdrop of a radical shift in how we conceive of sex, sexuality, and self. In the age of social media, sexual orientation is something you identify into a public performance that requires no partner and no physical follow-through. Consider also the odd proliferation of straight married men who identify as queer, based on what seems mainly like a conviction that they're just too interesting to be plain old heterosexual. It's all identification, no action, a complete decoupling of sexual identity from the act itself. If this is a sexual revolution, it's the chastest one we've ever had. At the same time, the battle of the sexes has been arguably won by women, who are outperforming men in everything from education to investment. They best boys in high school and outnumber them on college campuses. They go to grad school in greater numbers and earn the majority of PhDs. And while they haven't yet flooded boardrooms or executive suites, women are increasingly likely to out-earn the men they arry marry, all of which adds up to a total inversion of the old dating dynamics wherein women with slightly less education or earning power made ideal mates for men with slightly more. Indeed, a whole lot of accomplished, educated, highly paid ladies are competing in a dating pool that contains a scant few high-achieving men, and if they can't land one, then their options are to date down. Not at all, or not at all. In this reality, it's the women jostling for a position, optimizing their dating profiles, trying to look good to the algorithm that will in turn serve them up 
someone as a desirable catch, and the odds are stacked against them for reasons that will someday make fascinating fodder for evolutionary psychologists. Women are far harsher judges of male desirability than vice versa. Studies suggest that 80% of women on dating apps are in competition for about 20% of the men. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, that's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, that Um, was very interesting because my initial thoughts is like, there is some nice points that she brought that I kind of liked, but it also reads very much like it's born out of right-wing incel internet, like, you know, Jordan, Pe- like, it's like this woman read or watched, sat down and watched 10 hours of Jordan Peterson. And then read this <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. You I, know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm like, I agree with it, like, 20%, maybe. Well, I mean, I think it, it's a very, um, it's a, it's, it's a relevant and very argued, um, correct, I mean, uh, well put together in terms of argumentation article of course i believe it's you know a little bit more problematic uh i there think there's certainly quite a few problematic things in there yeah that is true i want to make sure that that's clear that that's what i think as well of course um but i do agree it does feel like it's playing to the insult crowd especially in how they um th- thinking about dating is that oh look 80 percent of the women are trying to get 20 percent of the shads and you know the rest of us are out of luck because we're too, you know, uh, we're too we're too uh, beta and not masculine and not successful. Yeah, and all the alpha males and the sigma males are taking all the good women. That's basically and us that's, beta that's males argument, have to just right? wallow in mediocrity. Yeah, and you know, I, I think that what the author isn't understanding is that um, it's too. She's. Um, uh, she's basically um, blaming everything on culture. She's you know, saying that uh, these reasons why we're having these horrible dating patterns, according to her, are happening is because there's been these huge cultural shifts in uh, how people are approaching dating. You know, uh, I feel like she's kind of saying women are are having too much sex at one point and not enough sex, and now they're too prudish, and then they're getting faulted for being prudish. And so they're doing already... too well in society, and they're yeah. not liking it because now they have jobs and careers. It does kind of have this underlying conservatism. Put a lot of blame, put a lot of blame on women, too. And you they know? did, yeah. The whole article is basically chastising women and making it their responsibility for not, you know, for not, um, for doing these sexual revolutions and then um, being too choosy with who they pick. Which I think is extremely unfair, uh, and uh, but I think that there's an, an alternative explanation for why this is why you know this is happening and why people are not having as much sex and why dating is an all time low, and I don't think it has to do so much with the culture. I think what's happening is the economy is making people more culturally isolated. You know, we're working home for more, we're working longer hours than ever, we're trapped, we're broke as fuck, we're broke we're as dead. fuck. Or, yeah, because you know a lot of a lot of people, especially uh, Zoomers um, and, and millennials, you know, not as much as they were, uh, are living at home. It's you know they're not really in positions uh, of empowerment where they could even feel like they could entertain having a serious relationship. Your job basically asks that you give up your relationships in order to satisfy your corporate overlords, and if you have to relocate from city to another city, you're not supposed to say no. It's just to take that opportunity. It's very hard to. I mean, a guy who falls in love with their high school sweetheart and stays with them is kind of seen as a, 
uh, a mark against them is that you're supposed to be more devoted to your job and you're not supposed to be orienting your lo- uh, life into what's good for your relationships. You're not supposed to put your relationship above your job. And I think um, that is what's destroying our dating. I mean, in the past, at least, you know, um, it, I mean, it's getting harder and harder to get ahead, uh, for especially for Zoomers and Millennials. And they're much more, you know, the wealth gap that they have compared to previous generations is so wide that they're not even positions themselves where they're stable enough to get into long-term relationships. It's hard to feel, especially in our culture, who basically says, you know, men need to be out... Um, performing woman and money they need to be the breadwinner they need to be taking uh girls uh out to dates and paying for them you know all those sexist tropes and uh, stereotypes that our culture uh, our culture promotes it's very hard to it's very hard for men even to be in a stable place to be able to have those types of long-term commitments and relationships especially when most men and women are slaving away long hours endlessly to satisfy productivity quotas that they don't even have the time or energy to really get to know somebody. You know, I mean, if you're working all the time and in your very tough competitive environment, you don't really have a lot of time to even know your partner. It's more transactional, right? You know, this person... Yeah, and you're not likely to go out and have a lovely, you know, magical moment with someone when you're stressed out or tired from working so many exactly. hours. Exactly, exactly. I know I don't, you know, <laughs> like yeah. I, I I work a full-time job and I try to go on out on weekends, the weekends. You work after hours. I mean, you yeah. you're working way up until we recorded. I mean, we're recording pretty late today uh, because you've been working. I mean, I work two long hours, you know. But I mean, this idea that we're going to go to the beach with a date and like really get to know them in a in in a much more you know deeper meaningful way it's just not going to happen in today's society when you have to wake up at six o'clock in the fucking morning and be at the office until seven p.m. You know, uh, so I, I think that's what the author isn't understanding. There's you know it's like what conservatives normally do. The economy, you know, you know, Hajun Chang, one of my favorite economists, used to always say. Uh, culture influences the economy, but economy influences culture much more, you know, to a higher degree. And just like the culture of dating, you know, um, in this case is heavily being influenced by our economy and our wealth and our working time and our productivity and our expectations and our, you know, it's nobody feels comfortable dating when you're living in a, in a fucking a one bedroom studio in San Francisco with seven people. You know, you're not exactly in the. You're mostly concerned with reaching stability. I mean, even in a lot of these dating shows, the guys are mostly middle class. Um, you know, or living in you know high end jobs. That's where they're dating. But in the other one, the ultimatum, every single guy is like, "I don't want to get married. I don't want to get married because I need to get financial stability." <laughs> because that's what you know. They don't. Yeah. Want, everybody is one fucking paycheck away from living in a fucking car. This is not exactly, they're not exactly the right mindset to think about, hey, it's time for me to raise a family or really get to know people. Dating is like, oh, <laughs> shit, I have sexual urges. I need, to, I need to get off real quick. Otherwise, I'm going to go fucking crazy and then get back to work uh, so I can be productive again. So I think that's where this article goes wrong is that it's blaming too much women, quite frankly, for, some, for things the economy is producing. Women are being even pressured more, you know, because uh, to... Uh, out earn you know men and uh, and it's true for a lot of more affluent um, uh, populations for men they're not even going to college as much as they used to because they don't they they know what it did to their parents and overwork them and make them tired they and, you know, they're moving to, 
yeah, get, got into credit card debt, and it didn't even end up well because they still couldn't get out of their mortgage uh, during the 2008 crisis, and they got into big financial trouble. So for people like that, they're seeing what their parents did, and they're saying, "Fuck that! I'm going to YOLO in a Bitcoin." You know. <laughs> <I'm>, uh, <laughs> you well, know. I, I think like I, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in this article, and I and I can tell you you have a lot you have a lot more to say, but I I, I wanted to say real quickly that it's very funny how like. I think there are some important ideas in this that she talks about that's, you know, deserves some talking, uh, deser- deserves a discussion. But I do also see how she's like a conservative operative as well, where she's like putting the blame on the Me Too movement and the fact that you need to ask for a consent. Like she, the, uh, the fact that, you know, younger people, I know, because it's like, obviously consent, the fact that younger people care more about consent is definitely a good thing. It's definitely like, you know, she maybe like she blames uh, part of these issues on the fact that guys have to, are concerned about getting consent. And it's like, yeah, it's like well, you can't, you can't just go and grab a girl in the bar anymore and just yeah. you know, slap them in the ass and say, hell yeah, girl. You know, <laughs> you can't just sexually assault your uh, your secretary anymore. Oh, yeah. I'm so oppressed. I know, and you know the funny thing about the Me Too movement is that everyone's like, "Oh, it's like the Salem witch trial." They're just burning. You I know. know and it, think about but, the most famous people from the Me Too movement. It's like people who committed horrible crimes. Yes, yes. It's like if the Salem witch trial were burning real witches ninety nine percent of the time, and one percent of the time they got in disease and sorry, which was a fake witch. Yeah. I would, I would, st- I would be like, yeah, he was worth the sacrifice. You know, the thing about the Me Too movement is that they really were really effective at rooting out really bad actors. I know, know like Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, Jeffrey like Epstein. Yeah, you know, like, these people committed horrible crimes. I don't know how you couldn't see Me Too as like, you know, other than a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, and, and, and there's always like, going to be, you know, misunderstandings, no matter what. But, uh, but, uh, but I'm saying that, the, the, but the 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 effectiveness of how many people they got that was right, okay, is pretty impressive compared to like the Salem witch trial, which got zero witches, you know. Uh, so I think it's like a false analogy, and you know, I think over here that this author is obviously trying to talk about real concerns a lot of young people have, and you know, and listen, let me tell you something: the fucking metaverse isn't going to make dating easier. Yeah, okay. and I think the date there is real concerns about the you know younger people having less sex and you know the well, they're, less they're also socializing exactly they're not socializing and properly. the dating apps and stuff like that like you know but, using but, but you see but those but those hard. are a reflection of the economy they're of our the the amount of things that are are are, are pulling time away from each other I mean fuck even Dwayne the Rock Johnson says if you don't have a side hustle go and you're not really living I mean whole idea that you're supposed to be trying to be productive at 24 7 otherwise shame shame you feel guilty and you're expecting those types of people who have free time to go explore a relationship instead of trying to get ahead in the rat race it's you know it's and by the way it's getting harder and harder to get ahead you know uh so i i think that it's just a completely misfire here to blame women for the issues we're having in our economy in terms of free time and i think social isolation plays a big role here People are much more socially isolated. There's less public spaces. There's less time you have. And there's more pressure to succeed. There's less money. Most people have less money. Most people are in more debt. Most people are facing, you know, catastrophe years from now with climate change. A lot of people can't even afford to go to to restaurants on dates. You know, that's that's for a lot of people. That's actually expensive uh, to go out on a dinner and, you know, and not worry about 
um, paying the the dinner bill. You know, just you know, it just it completely underestimates how hard it is for young people to even have the time they need to explore relationships. And and I, you know, getting into a meaningful relationship with somebody takes time. It takes an extraordinarily amount of time. Everybody brings in their own baggage and their own, you know, experiences that uh, it takes a while to, um, for people to just figure out each other to like, okay, I know what your buttons are. I know what, what your not buttons are. I know I shouldn't be pushing your buttons. I know I shouldn't be, you know, doing stuff. And then at the same time, it's kind of shaming any kinds of uh, sexual experience. That's not vanilla. The author that's like, Oh my God, I can't believe these people are choking. I know. Coming light, in weird places. And she even says light choking. It's like light choking is fine. What are you talking about? She's like, yeah. she's like consensual light choking is horrible. Or, yeah. you know, it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like that sounds, it's, it's, sounds like they're having good sex. I don't know. This is, listen, this but, is the same. This is the same thing that conservatives do to minority communities. Um, who basically say, listen, you can either say that there's structures in place that keeps minorities poor, which there certainly are, uh, or they can lie Obviously, to you and yeah. say, oh, they don't pull themselves up by their bootstraps hard enough. It's the same. It's just the same game. They're just taking it to the sexual battlefield. You know, well, th- th- those yeah, are my and, thoughts. And, and there's yeah. like this underlying message of like that men, you know, especially Zoomers, it's like they're becoming more beta. It's like even the part where she says that yeah. women are to date down is like a hyperlinked to, you know, to really emphasize the fact that it's like these women are becoming more masculine and alpha and they're femi- like, you know, the women are becoming men and the men are becoming women. And, and I love how she's like talking about like, oh, think about the good old days where a man would have, you know, power over the women that he decides <laughs> to date out. <laughs> economic power you know societal power wasn't it better when men were older and wealthier than most women and i think it's completely safe to say that um you know in our society the reason why college educated people date college educated people is because they have more similar values uh, with each other than necessarily they would with people um who they think you know didn't attend college for instance maybe you know in their mind um a corporal punishment would be more common in blue collar families and white collar families and they would share more value so it's a little bit about there's a little bit over there about that too that i think the article is missing about why people um this has been a more recent phenomenon is that people are generally well i think it has to do with people are trying to also get ahead more so people are marrying more on class lines than ever where in the past people would actually marry different classes and it wasn't as important. I think the Wall Street Journal had a kind of comedic article about how bosses, CEOs are not marrying enough secretaries. I know. Yeah. That was a great, great method of <laughs> economic yeah. mobility. That's what the article basically said. I thought I know. that was really I know. funny. I know. Weird. We, yeah. We, uh, we talked about it, not on the podcast, but uh, we, we, we did talk about it. But it's funny, though, because what's so clever about this article, you know, because it is obviously filled with like this conservative like incel whatever like social conservatism underlying to it is it does you know refer to issues in the world like issues that we're facing you know it it is kind of sad that it seems like you know gen z is less socialized like all their so all the like all most of my friends i talk to them through the internet basically and you know that's good but you know i I think talking in person is there's also a value in that. Of course, definitely. of course, much, much, you know, 
it's we're, definitely we're designed good. as humans to talk in person, not through not yeah. talk through screens. There's a lot of body language, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, yeah, so I know. Uh, it's just I feel like that article is just trying to talk into the anxieties of, uh, you know, older people who are concerned about young yeah. people, and they're like, "My daughter hasn't had a good match in years. My daughter's just at college getting fucked, and <laughs> my son is just this beta trans cat boy just, and won't leave his room." That's trying to be uh, about Bitcoin mining, but you know, and then I think the other other point, not you know, to get back to. There's a little bit about socializing too. Is that you know the more isolated we are, and the less we're socializing with uh, opposite sex um, in terms of you know cisgender dating, uh, the less we're um, we're able to understand each other. And I think you know that's happening a little bit more and more too, especially people who are um, you know spending a lot of time at home and not really meeting a lot of people in person. I'm talking when I'm talking about people like I'm talking about the the Bitcoin stereotype who's sitting in their basement and you know trying to yolo to the moon and yeah it, wall street bets i, I got gotcha. you yeah well you know not, not, not that community specifically but people who are because listen i have a lot of affluent friends who are you know refuse to refuse to have ever gone to college and think college is a waste of time and spent their time you know spend their time now just you know bitcoin mining and bitcoin trading uh online and losing a stupendous amount of money uh, as they're doing them. I, I loved college. I thought it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, but you know, for a lot of people, and it's even true, I think for a lot of uh, affluent whites, about fifty percent of them I read somewhere are are not going to college as much as they used to, and they're instead trying to look for entrepreneurship, Bitcoin mining, you know, stand up comedy, any other uh, YOLO, uh, straight to the moon kind of moonshot uh, approach to wealth. I mean, even us, we're trying to become famous podcasters. Well, you know, I mean, I'm but we we, do, we both have jobs too, True. right? And, and we're not making any money from this. Not, I mean, well, and not ever since the sanctions hit Russia, you know, that's really put a hole that's in our true. stuff. And they and really did clamp down on Iran getting funding to uh, our little leftist project. And, and listen, I'm not, I'm not delusional. I'm not expecting, you know, I'm not doing this to become famous, obviously. I, I really just want to, you know, I, I like talking, discussing these things. And I think that there's just a voice not being said for a lot of these um, issues. But... I, uh, Ryan, yeah, do you and and do you think we have enough time to go over our, our third topic? Or, yeah, 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 let's keep going. Let's keep going. I, I got time, I, I know it's late, but you know, uh, let's let's keep going. We got two more good topics to go through. I think we can, you know, uh, talk quick about them, but they're important. all right. I'll, I'll go to the number one. One, no, let's, let's go to two, then to go to one. So, uh, what, what what's going on in Russia and Ukraine? Oh, yeah. Russia, Ukraine. We we talked about this. Uh, we had a great conversation about this um, of what Russia is doing. What's their game plan in Ukraine now? So well, they pulled out of Kiev, and you could you could take it away, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, a couple of things may be happening right now, and I think this is what's kind of not being said is that obviously when the war started, phase one of the war was uh, Russia was trying to do an Operation Market Garden. For the, uh, basically a haymaker approach. Or to the Blitzkrieg, conflict. you know. Sure, yeah, or a Blitzkrieg. Uh, but I think Operation Market Garden is a little bit more of an apt um, analogy mm-hmm. here because they, they basically sent in special forces and advanced uh, troops to secure the most important areas. And then they basically wanted to end the war real fast by uh, capturing these key areas and then moving their and tanks into out the it. capital. Exactly. Yeah. And then from there, you know, end the war very inexpensive. User technological sophistication, but what they didn't expect 
was the Ukrainian resistance, which kind of like in a in, where you have this legendary boxer fighting against a newcomer. Legendary boxer tries to haymaker and get the person out as fast as possible, but to their surprise, the the new boxer was able to jab, dodge, and uppercut just well enough that the boxer had to rethink their approach and move into a, a phase two approach. Like Operation Market Garden in World War II was basically after Normandy, the the Allies uh, basically thought they could quickly capture key positions and move into um, Germany as fast as possible and end the war by Christmas. But to their surprise, the, re- the Germans put up a bigger resistance and completely slowed down the war for four more, I mean, like, what, two more years? I thought they basically years. just encircled all the paratroopers and killed them or captured yes, them. Yes, 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 exactly. Huge, failure. huge, huge failure in World War II. That set back the whole Allied invasion uh, a significant amount of time. And here, too, the Russian bear tried to haymaker the Ukrainians out. So now that that approach has failed, and it's obvious that it has failed, they have completely redeployed their entire force into a more conventional war where they to uh, basically broaden their front line as much as possible in the south and southeast to use their overwhelming numbers and power and uh and supplies to just uh, on a conda style slowly squeeze Ukraine into submission instead of trying to go for the quick shot. Now like it they're does... going to fight a conventional war now. Yes, which is unfortunately going to be what... much more destructive. F- yes, F- and, and and it's very yeah. interesting because Ukraine is you know the defender and the defender sometimes has the advantage. But one of the negatives of being a defender is that they have to defend their whole border. So they have to defend against Belarus, Russia. So the northern and the eastern yeah, part you, you, and you the southern part. Them. Yeah. But now Russia, you know, as the aggressor, can choose where to attack from. So they can only attack from the east, and Ukraine will still have to keep troops around Kiev in the north, just in case. Yeah, so they can concentrate their forces where they want, push where they need, capture points and slowly encircle Ukrainian forces and win against them in the long run. Now, of course, I mean, it, it is important to say that we don't know as of right now that we know, okay, what we do know is that they do want to fight a conventional war. We do know they have redeployed. We do know that this, their strategy going forward is to use um, this conventional war to overpower the Ukrainians. But what we don't know is whether or not they have the resources to pull this off or whether this is a bluff or whether this is to buy them time for negotiation. All that we will see, whether or not they're doing this and then negotiating with them uh, behind closed doors to end the war because they kind of overspent in the initial phase and they don't have enough to carry to, or they may have enough resources and being willing to actually treat this war more seriously instead of the haymaker. Um, I, and think, I think uh, when, yeah. when we see Russia, you know, uh, do, you know, more conventional world war two style, conventional fighting of holding a front uh, instead of what they were doing before, where they were just kind of capturing key, uh, you know, highways and stuff. Um, you know, we will see uh, a lot more devastation from the Russian 100%. side. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's so when you're trying to do a haymaker, right, and you're just trying to overuse you're your vulnerable. Power, you're very vulnerable, exactly, because you have to extend your supply lanes deep into enemy territory, which makes them subject to enemy, um, you know, anti-tank uh, firing and anti-air firing. So, that, you know, because you're pushing really deep in and you have to resupply those troops with not established supply lanes. So Ukraine capitalized on that by just completely wrecking the shit out of the um, Russian supply lanes and made it almost impossible for them to advance. So, uh, I, but I do think there's something else that's taking place. I don't know if you, if you saw this, Anthony, but 
basically Biden has been getting into kind of fight with China about whether or not China was going to resupply the Russians with more um, supplies so they can continue fighting. Uh, well, I've it's weird because it seems like China is it's I'm it's hard to know what they're thinking. Like I don't because it seems like their support for Russia came out strong, then they walked pedaled it back, and so I, I just don't know whether China is going to support Russia as much as they were. I don't know. I, I literally just have no idea. It's hard to know what the fuck's going on right now. Of course. So, of course. We're, we're what outside do you think? You're absolutely right, Anthony. We're outside observers. We can only, you know, we don't, we're not inside the fucking intelligence room. Our Russian agents have stopped giving us information. <laughs> uh, so we're now, you know, completely financially free from them for a while. And uh, Xi Jinping the- has blocked me on Twitter. So Again, I do not get, yeah, yeah. I do not get the, uh, the inside scoop anymore. Exactly. But, but I do want to say that, you know, it looks like China initially did support Russia when they were doing their phase one haymaker approach. And then when it looked like Russia was losing, they're like, actually, you know, we don't want to look like we don't want to use all this political capital supporting a loser. So they pulled back and I guess Putin said, well, I'm going to get into a conventional war now and we will win this. And then uh, Russia, uh, China came back and said, OK, actually, yeah, we're going to resupply them and let them beat them in the conventional war. But it is a little bit hard to see. You know, I know that Biden threatened China with basically don't you supply them or else. It's kind of funny because we're doing, you know, the opposite. Well, we, we, we can't do I mean, he can't really retaliate against China as much as he wants. Like the China and, and the United States are very linked with their uh, their economies. China makes all our shit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, so but what the sad thing is and what's really depressing about this is that the Ukrainians are going to be the people and the civilians are going to be in it for a much more violent. And maybe that the conflict so far was just a prelude to the real war, which will lead to much more devastation and loss of life. And, you know, I think think we will see Russia perform significantly better uh, than what we've seen in the beginning. I don't know. You know, it's really easy to surround and, uh, you know, capture tanks that are driving on a highway uh, with no, uh, you know, front line protecting their flanks. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that's not going to happen as much with Russia now doing a big front on the eastern uh, unless side. They're they completely, unless they're completely it's, incompetent, you know. Which they could be, you know. Yeah, which they could be, because they haven't had as much experience fighting wars as the Americans have in the last well, you know, couple decades. And, and the Ukrainians have definitely gotten a good amount of experience. And they're, you know, getting shiny, uh, new high-tech technology to help them fight. Uh, and, you know, obviously we're giving them intelligence. So, I don't know. That's the only thing we could really say, is it's hard to know what the fuck will happen. I, I just wish America would do our part by at least letting in as many Ukrainian refugees as humanly possible, if not the entire yeah. population, if we had to, you know, no, <laughs> yeah, I'm serious re- here. I'm, I'm literally, I'm literally serious. I would love more than Ukrainians moving into the States, uh, you know, um, and that would make me really happy. I really feel bad for the refugee crisis and that's over a million refugees or, or uh, less I checked, or maybe 10 million. I, f- I forget the number that's been uh, dispossessed of their living situation because of this conflict. And as we know, the Ukrainian women are heavily trafficked trafficked abroad. Oh, and yeah. this is going to make it much more difficult. And, you know, I think hopefully, hopefully, you know, this conflict ends. But, yeah. Oh, boy. Good good thing we're ending on a, a sad note. But we, we have well, one more topic, or should, should we end it here? Yeah, we should definitely talk about it because it definitely interplays with this uh, one pretty well. So... 
Um, we've talked about this before on some of our other uh, episodes, but there's been a rising far right. Um, politics has been becoming more uh, polarized. Um, in the United States, we've had our own far uh, our far, own far right problem. In Europe, they're even seeing their own far right problem. Uh, so what we've got is just recently Germany. Uh, you know, a couple. I think a couple of years back, they arrested of their special forces unit because they were all passing around copies of Mein Kampf, and they're all talking about how great Hitler was. Um, Germany just did a massive crackdown. I think they arrested like that. They arrested fifty around fifty people. Um, you know, with SWAT German SWAT teams going in and breaking down people's doors. Then we have in the United States. Uh, you know, U.S. law enforcement has been sounding the alarms, and they can't even lie. They just know uh, the FBI has come out and said that, you know, the greatest domestic terrorist threat to America is white supremacy. You know, they used to say it was communists. They used to say it was, you know, leftists or or black anarchists or, or you know, civil rights leaders. But now it's white supremacy. The, the white supremacy problem is getting much worse. And the intelligence agencies and the security agencies in America have completely declawed the left. There is no threat from the left. It's all the right wing now. Uh, and then, you know, we kind of have this going. And, and to the less credit, they have moved into a more pacifist approach to politics. You know, I mean, it's definitely mm-hmm. the people who may, make up a lot of the, um, you know, left has been, they've been preaching a, a movement of, a pro, you know, peaceful protests over like violent action. So it's a little bit different yeah. now. And and I don't think I mean th- this is a little bit of a big topic, but I don't think that violent action is a good idea just because it brings the state down on you. You know that gives the uh, intelligence agencies permission to really go in hard on you, and the yeah, state exactly. does violence way more. The government does violence way better than you can. Yeah, so but I think I think the I think the terrifying thing right now is what's happening in France. With Marine mm-hmm. Le Pen, just on the and really Macron. close, yeah, and of course with uh, Marine Le Pen, really close to seizing the government of France by winning an election. Um, and why is this concerning? Is that you know Marine Le Pen has always been a fringe figure. And it's so like we have a we have a hardcore racist with like a very you know dog whistly, mild, soft spoken racist, very lightly, you know, just as racist as you know European governments are. And then Marie Le Pen being a real racist, like a hard, or a hardcore one of like, yes, I'm racist. That's why you should vote for me. And, and to the and to the credit of the French, they did vote socialist. You know, yeah, even though in name only, or they're thinking about voting to the right, which is normally not the case. Usually, they vote for the right, and then when that fails, they vote for the left. Um, but in the what's significant about what's happening in France, as we discuss in this podcast over and over and over again, is that with the decline of the middle class uh, internationally, and the you know the more difficult it is to get ahead, we're seeing the same problems happening in, in France now. And when people think about the rank and file of fascists, it's not really the working class who become fascists. It's mostly middle class people who are very afraid of slipping back into the labor class, the people who actually have to work where they start getting anxieties about the system and thinking about overturning it, where they start supporting fascism because fascism 
um, unlike the left, where the left talks about redistributing the wealth of the elites, you know, in a way that's more equitable and healthier for the economy and, to and making everyone's lives better. Basically. Better. They they don't they they basically say we have a different way of approach. I mean, obviously the the right and the fascists they they don't um, fight against the elites because that's usually their benefactors and people who are propping them up and financially supporting them. So instead, they do promise redistribution, but they promise redistribution from the working class who are predominantly minorities. They say, what we'll do instead of redistributing the wealth of the elites, we'll just redistribute the the wealth of the poor, especially the poor that you despise because they practice religion differently from you. They look different from, from you. They cook differently from you. They speak differently from you. And what we're going to do is make their lives absolutely fucking hell. And, and, and we see that in a lot of fascist movements is they will target the minorities seize the wealth from the minorities and re- redistribute some of it to the, you know, the chosen, yes. uh, you know, class or the chosen people that they've decided are not the minorities. Yeah, yeah. and they do that by monopolizing uh, the work, you know, uh, the labor market. It doesn't market. fix the problem. It just, no, of course not. It just, it just, it just makes just, people it happy for a little bit. Yeah, because it's like if you, if you can't promise uh, growth, you can promise puritanical uh, vengeance on the people you don't like, you know, totalitarian um, vengeance against the a working class, either through religion, or the undesirables, or undesirables, you know, anyone exactly. who doesn't fit in your, you know, wonderful white France. Yeah, it's ethno domination of minorities is what they promise, and that's what they say we will do. We will return the country back to where it should be when everything was working and everything made sense, and we'll do that on the backs of the of the minorities by taking their property away from them and giving it to you by making it harder for them to get jobs from making it harder for them to interact by throwing them into ghettos by uh, create an underclass for you to further to feel down superior on. about exactly yeah. exactly and, and as you said you know the truth is marine le pen and whatever uh, you know they Macron. never really sh- uh no uh, i'm talking about marine le pen uh, yeah, yeah. She, yeah she she's not going to challenge the economic system that creates the inequality that people are pissed off about because as you know uh, uh, france is very um, very controlled by different financial institutions that dominate the country and that's that she's not going to meaningfully challenge that but what she can do is I mean, even though she may uh, say lip service to that that she's going to challenge them and she's going to do that truth is you know she's going to turn her fucking fist against the um, the minorities and Macron has done that himself. So it's not that much of a difference, except it's going to be much more hellish in their approach to it. I mean, Macron is kind of like what Biden, he's kind of like Biden. It's like, Oh, we get the, you know, the soft stick with the, uh, you know, like the, the, the capitalist government beats the hell out of you, but they also, you know, uh, make you feel, give yeah. You, yeah, make you feel good make, about like it. You're on the right side of morality, but you know. <laughs> yeah, but you know the right wing fascist or the racist will just come out and just do terror and not even pretend. Well, and I think the problem is if that the economic systems do not get fixed, or the middle class keep feeling like they are not going to be able to get ahead, or they're going to slip back into the working class. Uh, a lot of them are going to start uh, looking towards fascism as a solution to their problems because they obviously think that. You know, uh, that's their only path forward. And I think, you know, uh, unless these problems get fixed, this is going to happen more and more and more. And, you know, it's going to be worse. One thing, like, I hope, and this might be a little too uh, naive of me, is I feel like, you know, I think people are much nicer and much more open-minded and much more accepting than they've ever been before. Which is true. I hope that will uh, help 
you know, the left wing gain a greater resurgence than what happened in, you know, Nazi Germany, where it's like Hitler just, you know, rise to power and then stomps out the left opposition completely. I think that, you know, people start being less tolerant and generally speaking when they think that they're not getting ahead and they think that especially when they can blame a minority as the reason they're not getting ahead. And they uh, they start thinking, like, why am I being a sucker? Why am I being nice? You know, I'm not getting ahead here. We tried this. I'm becoming worse off. I can't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ever decreasing. And then they start getting frustrated enough. But, yeah, I yeah. do think this is concerning. And I do and think we should be paying attention to this. It's really weird, too, because there's this, like, brand of internationalism. Uh, or it's, it's weird to see how internationalist these political groups are, the left and the right. Where, like, for example... There was Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, who said, Congratulations to Viktor Orban on winning a victory well-deserved. He's leading Hungary the right way, and we need this in America. America should also ban sexually explicit media in sex ed and all gender change information for minders, minors under 18 intentionally confusing children. It's like, Viktor Orban is not a good dude. And like that's at what, all. That's exactly what I talked about when I said puritanical um, attack on you know society. It's kind of what what they promise them. It's like okay, we're not going to help you, but what we will do is we will you know exert fucking will over other people, and there you can feel good. And that's kind of what the Republicans are promising to their base in America. It's like hey, fuck it, you're not going to get ahead, but we're going to make we're going to say you can't say the word gay in high school, or we're going to ban LGBTQ athletes from sports, even though they make up 0.0001% of the population. It's not actually about addressing any effects, just emotionally catering to their anxieties over being left behind and blaming it towards minorities. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I hope it works out. But, Ryan, I think now is probably a good point to end. So have you gotten through your set of notes? I heard you flipping your paper over there. Yes, I have. We've come prepared <laughs> after some heavy criticism of, uh, you know, approaching these episodes a little bit too off the cuff. But yeah. um, but we're, we're going to end it right here. Guys, make sure you follow us on Twitter. That's at RealBigBrain on Twitter, at RealBigBrain. Or subscribe to our YouTube channel, Big Brain Chungus, and feel free to message me on Twitter. I'll uh, or tweet at me. I'll try to respond. If you have any comments, you know you can leave them on our SoundCloud or wherever. And if you think about rating our podcast, even if you hate it, just give us five stars on everything. Just, just yeah. do it. Just always lie. do it multiple times too. Yeah, log on from times. different accounts. Find your friend's phone. Subscribe from your friend's phone. Give it five and stars. Give this to your too. grandma. Give your grandma, grandma too. <laughs> yeah, give this to grand grand. Let let her get woke. Okay. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> but um, all right. I guess we can uh, leave it off. Or or should we like you know trail out and talk about like oh what are you gonna eat for dinner tonight, Ryan? Or what are your what are your plans after this? Probably sleep. It's late, Anthony. We've been working all day. But, all right, everybody. Thank you for listening. (laughs) There there we go. All right, everybody. That was fun. Okay.